Let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, help us all today to, to contemplate biblically and deeply the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, uh, the enfleshment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, to use the minds you've given us to really think upon what it means that the Creator became a part of His creation in, in Jesus, uh, born as a, a baby, born of a woman who lived as one of us and died for all of us, who came to earth to bring a great company to heaven. Give us grace to place ourselves in the great redemption story, the grace to believe and believe ever more strongly and be saved. Help me to teach rightly and well. Help those who hear to receive what is good. And may your Holy Spirit apply the teachings of your word to the hearts of each of us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis 6.13 begins, and God said to Noah. You know, I take the language of the Bible at face value unless there are really good reasons to, to do otherwise. And there, there are Christians, I believe, who, who, have, who may have a sense of God's leading. You know, they, I feel God is leading us, or an inner prompting, or a sense of peace about something about a certain direction, a certain decision, and who will characterize that experience by saying, God said to me. But when the Bible says God said, I think we can believe that God said. You know, he, uh, God said these words. He, it wasn't in other words. It couldn't have put any other way. When the Bible says God said, what follows is a quotation, not a sense of what God is saying, not a sense of how God is leading or, or guiding or anything like that. So it seems clear to me, and really to, to everybody, most that, that Noah heard the audible voice of God, who, we won't read it all, but who spoke to him at some length with great specificity, goes on for chapters. And what did you, just think about that. All these people in the Old Testament, they're real people. They're people like us. Can you imagine that experience of God speaking to you and, and telling you things that puts you, you know, that makes you a very important person in the outworking of what he's doing in the world? What, a, what an experience. Same thing happens to Abraham. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you, what an experience. Can you imagine this happening? You know, God speaks to you. You're going about your business, and, and God speaks to you. He, he interjects himself. And as I you just think, wow, what, a, what an experience that must have been. Now, as I read Abraham's life, however, and you think about these experiences of God, nothing tops, nothing tops his and Sarah's experience 
in Gen- with, uh, we read about Genesis 18. When they unexpectedly entertained God and two angels for dinner. <laughs> Genesis 18. Abraham sat at the door of his tent, the yokes of Mamre, in the heat of the day. Stays siesta. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And, and I, o Lord, now people write about this, that O Lord, it could mean something you would say to a human being, you know, like sir, we would say sir. It could mean that, it could possibly mean that. But it seems to me that Abram has an idea that one of these men is the Lord himself. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, when? If it's just a stranger walking up, he's never seen him before. If I have found favor in your sight. And so that uh, brings him in for dinner. He asks that Sarah to hustle up some dinner. Husbands from time immemorial have been bringing home guests to, you know, and expect the wife to fix dinner, right? You know, to change plans. From it's been going on a long time. So Sarah's to Sarah's, you know, makes this dinner, and and what follows from that? We won't, you know, this is not what we're talking about today. Just Abraham and Sarah, but that that dialogue between the Lord and uh, and Abraham and Sarah, where he he says, when I come here next time, you know, Sarah's going to have a child. And, She's she, she's over here. She's in the back, and she laughs. And he says, "Why do you laugh?" Says, I didn't laugh. Yes, you laughed. <laughs> you remember that. Now the the reader, the reader of Genesis, uh, knows that these that uh, one of these men is a is a visual manifestation of the Lord Himself, and and knows the other two are angels. The, the reader does, but. It's, it's not clear, you know, what does Abraham know and what does he think? Uh, the, uh, the one who's the Lord sends the other two to Sodom to see for themselves what's going on there, and he remains with, with Abraham, and we learn Genesis 19, says the two angels, that the angels so two of these men that we meet in, in Genesis 18 are angels. The two angels went to Sodom. But Abraham's left and he, he seems clearly to, to know that this is the Lord God himself that he is seeing and looking at and speaking to, and the Lord is speaking back. In Genesis 18:22, So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, he says. To this, someone who introduces a man in Genesis 18. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So he, Abram, he has a, this is the judge of all the earth. This is the one who, before whom I live, who I hope to have found favor in his sight. Genesis 18, 27. Behold, this Abraham says, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He's, he knows who he's speaking to. 
Next, a couple verses later, then he said, Oh, not let the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Next verse, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Next verse, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again just this once. Now think of that. What a what a day. What an experience. You think Abraham ever said to Sarah, you you remember the time <laughs> that the Lord came to our place for dinner? Wouldn't you wouldn't you love to have a conversation with them? Uh, about that experience, you know, what did he look like? What what was it about him that made you instinctively? You said you saw three men, but what is it that that seemed distinctive? That that one of these was the Lord God Himself. Jacob wrestled with God all night long. One night. <laughs> He wasn't sure who it was, but he had an inkling as the night wore on. Genesis 32. Then he said, your name, this is the person wrestling with God, wrestling with Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Isn't that someone else you'd like to speak with, Jacob? What was that like? How did you know? You know, he doesn't quite know, but then he, you know, he's, he's yeah, this is God. Moses. Heard God speak from a burning bush, a, burn, a bush burning but not consumed. Here's Exodus 3. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then they go on to have a conversation that goes on for two chapters. And the, what, what an experience of God. And the, and the miracles that happen at the hand of Moses by the power of God, the plagues on Egypt, the parting the Red Sea, the pillar of fire and the cloud. It's, wow. My, uh, my desktop and my computer back here, it's a, the desktop is a favorite scene from the Ten Commandments. These, these three women, it's a shot in the, in the Ten Commandments that lasts a second or two, but it's these three women watching the parting of the Red Sea and just their awe, their... their uh, the fear, their astonishment, you know, like, wow. And Moses, was, he was at the center of all of that. It, there's, there's more with Moses. Exodus 33. Now Moses used to take 
the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door, his tent door, and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. Moses, well, Exodus 34, next chapter, we learn his face glowed because he had, he had been in the presence of the Lord, speaking with him, friend to friend, the Bible says, as a man speaks to his friend. How would you like to even... Even watch on television, say, you know, like a, like, like a long interview like it would be on C-SPAN or something, an interview with Moses about his experiences of God. What was that like to speak with God as one friend speaks to, a, to another? Samuel, like Noah, he heard the voice of God, audible voice of God as, even, as a boy. Book of Job is an extended conversation. You know, the book of Job is really the whole thing. It's then Job said to God, and God said to Job, and then Job said, then God said, then Job said, God, God got the last word. <laughs> but it's in its extended conversation of Job said, and then God said, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. What a vision. Here's some of Isaiah 6. Above Him, above the Lord, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What an experience. <laughs> Have a vision of the Lord. And then, then the Lord, of course, goes on to speak with him as well. Gives him his task, his calling. And what a calling to talk to them, tell them, but they're not going to listen to you. Your, your ministry, your, your message is to be the foundation, the basis for a coming judgment. They're not going to respond. The, the prophet Daniel is the star of the book of Daniel. No, no question about it. But in terms of experiences of the Lord, you know, that, that, you know just interaction with God himself... I don't in the book of Daniel, I don't know that Daniel experienced anything like what happened to his three friends, Daniel chapter three. They're Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace. You know, they Sunday school story, you know it. <laughs> if you've been in church, 
uh, you know, any time at all, but they refused to worship these three young men. They refused to worship the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and as punishment, they were thrown into the furnace. It's a lot longer story than that, but that's what happened. Toward the end of it, in Daniel chapter 3, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is when they refused. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his armies to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other, other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And skipping down a verse, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, the, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And then they, they came, ordered by the king to come out. They came out, three. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Bonds were burned off, or they're gone anyway. Wouldn't you like to talk to them? Did you, you know, the reader, Nebuchadnezzar saw four. Surely you did too. Did you, did you saw the fourth? You're walking around in there with him. Did you speak? What did you say? What did he say? And all the, all the prophets, what, what experiences of God there are two phrases that appear over and over again. Each of them appear over and over again in the Old Testament. One is the word of the Lord came to somebody saying, Isaiah, Amos, whoever it is, Hosea. The word of the Lord came to somebody saying. The other is, thus says the Lord. And those two phrases together appear over 2,600 times in the Old Testament. These prophets these writing prophets were people who experienced the presence and the voice of God at an, at an astounding level I mean all of these things I've just they're like wow what an experience of God himself Hebrews chapter 1 Hebrews begins this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but that, that word there, it's in contrast. It's not an and, it's but. In other words, in contrast to all the previous ways that God has revealed Himself. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact 
imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. We'll stop there. That's English Standard Version. The, the, uh, the, the New American Standard says He's the exact representation of His image. Uh, New, New International Version, a lot of you read, the exact representation of His being. King James says the express image of his person. And the idea is that all of those translations work. They're all accurate. The idea is that Jesus is the complete revelation of God, the ultimate revelation of who God is, what he's like, and what we can know about God. Now, with all that's gone before, all these examples... Hebrews says that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. So think about this. Nothing Noah experienced. Nothing Abraham experienced. Nothing Moses experienced. Job, Daniel, nothing any of the prophets experienced yielded a knowledge of God as complete and full and exact as that experienced by anybody who knows God through the words and the person and the works and the character of Jesus. In fact, it's it's interesting, the experience of the prophets, you know, these great, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, and all those other experiences that it actually left them with a, uh, a thirst for something that's missing. <laughs> it, it left them with a, they wanted to know more, and, they, and their focus was on Christ. Who is this? First Peter, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, in other words, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they made... They uh, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So all of the those astounding experiences of the prophets left them longing to know about more about Christ. They wanted to see Christ. You can think of it this way. The prophets were given pictures of Christ. Uh, the, the Old Testament is really, it's made out of pictures of Christ. The Old Testament is. The bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. It's a, it's a picture of Christ on the cross. John says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. Abraham's son Isaac was a picture of Christ in a lot of ways. In his miraculous birth. In his sacrifice. In carrying the wood to the place of sacrifice. In, in the way that Abraham got him back after he'd already decided to sacrifice him, was committed to it. It's a picture of Christ in his, his miraculous birth, his sacrifice for us, his substitutionary death, his resurrection. 
The Passover and the Passover lamb is a picture of Christ. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system and the calendar is a picture of Christ. Daniel's stone cut without hands, it smashes the statue that, that, that represents a world Gentile government and becomes a, 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 the stone becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth, is a picture of Christ coming in his kingdom. Christ is not a picture of God. Christ is God. And there's no comparison between the real thing and the picture. Soldier in combat carries a picture of his wife or his best girl, his girlfriend in his wallet, gives him hope. He looks at it, gives him some resolve for getting back home. That's why I want to get back home. But what would he rather do, look at the picture or be back home with his wife or his girlfriend? Which is better, the picture or the real thing? And if you want to know God, knowing Jesus is the way God has given to do it. And it's when, you, it is, when you're looking at Jesus, you're not looking at a shadow or a picture or a metaphor to know Jesus is to know God himself. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. New American Standard, he's explained him. King James, he's declared him. And that word, he has made him known. In the Greek, it's an interesting word. It's the word from which we get our word, exegesis. And when, uh, you know, when a passage or a verse is, is exegeted, we, when we properly exegete a text of Scripture, we extract the intended meaning, we correctly identify, we, the, the, we interpret it correctly, we, we get out of it what the text means us to get out of it, what the author wants us to get out of it. And so we could say, John 1.18 says, Jesus exegetes God, because when you look at Jesus, you see God as he is. When you listen to Jesus, you hear the words of God. Moses would have loved to be able to read, as you do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Abraham would have loved to have heard the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 and others. Isaiah would have marveled to see the cross and resurrection of which he wrote in ways he didn't fully understand. If you see Jesus as we all should see Jesus as God in human flesh, as the Lord of heaven to earth come down, the exact representation of God you know, for example, and it's not all the ways, but you know that God, you know God to be gentle in ways that Daniel was not privileged to see. You know God to be forgiving in ways that uh, Moses couldn't fully, not fully, uh, appreciate as fully as you do. He saw images, he saw metaphors, he saw foreshadowings. 
you've seen the real thing. You, you know God to be compassionate towards sinners in ways that would have, just to see it, that really come, that Isaiah would have been astounded at. Even though he says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. But to actually see it, to see Jesus receive sinners and eat with them, even his disciples were astounded at things like that. Speaking to a Samaritan woman, my goodness. You, you have seen in your mind's eye, you have seen God in human flesh look down on the very individuals who crucified him, who were hurling insults at him, and saying, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. But it's, it's, it's more than that. The way you and I can know God through Jesus, it's, it's more than that. Because Jesus has opened the door to actual fellowship with God through him in unprecedented ways. In ways that weren't so before Jesus came. 1 John, beginning of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. In other words, we're talking about Jesus. We saw him. We touched his hands. You know, we, we put our arms around him. We may have given him a hug. We sat, we heard him speak. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's fascinating about that passage is that John is writing on, on behalf of those who saw and heard, saw Jesus with their own eyes, heard him speak, they know what his voice sounded like, and they... They're writing to those who did not see Jesus with their eyes, who did not hear Jesus speak like they heard him speak. And he's appealing to them. Those, they were born too late. There's another generation. They weren't there or they're too young. They, this all happened. And he's writing to them and appealing to them to enter into fellowship with them by entering into a right now fellowship with that same Jesus Christ. And that's the basis of our fellowship with one another, a common relationship with Christ. In other words, he, he didn't say, boy, if you'd only been there, if you could only experience what we experience, boy, that would be something. Then we could have fellowship with one another. But, it's, it's, gee, it's too bad. It's too bad. You weren't there or you weren't even born yet. That's not what he says. He says, we saw him, we heard him, but please come into fellowship with us by coming into fellowship with him because it's the same fellowship that we have right now. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. We, we don't love his memory. We love him. And, and this depth of experience of God through Jesus in human flesh, it's, 
It's even more than that. It's even more than that. Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So Jesus is the exact representation, image of God. And that image, Christ, is being reduplicated, fashioned in us who came to him as rank and ruined sinners, the furthest thing from the character of Christ it could be, and we're being transformed one degree of glory to another. So here's another level that you, that you can know Christ on. You, you probably do, but you, if you don't, you can, of seeing, experiencing his character being formed in us, not by us, by his Holy Spirit. And this, that spiritual transformation. You know, I believe it's, we read First Peter, things into which angels long to look. You know, the gospel is preached to you, things into which angels long to look. What is it about the gospel that's such a mystery and wonder to the angels? I, I, I think it's this. That they... The one thing an angel, good or evil, has never experienced, and that's the transformation of a sinner into a saint. Wow. The remaking of what's been ruined by sin and into something sinless and holy. You think, well, I'm not sinless. Well, that's where you're headed. It's where you're going. You should, you should see progress. You're not going to see sinlessness, but you should see progress if it's real. The, it's the transformation of God's enemies into God's willing and sincere worshipers, the spiritual and moral metamorphosis of, of what the New Testament calls sanctification. I think that I think that thing, this is just me, and you, there's a lot of things written about it, but I think that thing into which angels long to look is that transformation that happens to us fallen human beings when we come to Christ, when we come to God through faith in Christ. And, some, and things happen. And we become something else than what we were when we started. You and I, and I'll end here, I'll end here, but you and I live at a time in history when God can be known at a depth and a level that he simply, that we simply couldn't, it couldn't have happened before Christ came. But now Christ has come. And he commands all people everywhere to repent of their sin, turn from uh, their godlessness, and know God as he is. And you cannot know God as he is without him making your face glow, <laughs> transforming your spirit into something that he will call good, holy, righteous. 
Know him in his, know God in his fullness, which is to say, know him in Christ. God literally translated into human terms. Know him personally, relationally, through faith in Christ. And know him in the uh, transformation of his character so that it's our character and that his heart is our heart and our mind is his mind. Let's pray. May it be so with each one here, Lord. May we know you through knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our brother in the family of God. And wherever we are in terms of knowing you, all the, all, everybody in this place, wherever we are in terms of knowing you, let the relationship grow deeper and stronger from where we are now. May those who have not known you begin to know you today with a simple faith and trust that when Jesus came into this world, it was to save them and us. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.